What advice would you give an aspiring investor who's six to 12 months behind you? Walk, don't run, because mm-hmm. you know it takes time to get to your first deal and take your time and know what value that you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Talk to everyone and figure out how you can help them and add value to them and go from there. This is the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast, and I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. And this podcast is designed for the aspiring apartment investor and literally gives them the opportunity to ask the questions that will help them get to the next level. So if you're an aspiring apartment investor, this podcast is for you. Now, this podcast is brought to you by the Tribe of Titans Multifamily Educational Community. It's your one-stop shop for learning how to succeed at apartment investing. Welcome to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast. I'm your host, Brian Briscoe. Very excited for today's show. We've got a first deal series episode, but not just any first deal series episode. We've got one of our aspiring investors who came on a show previously. We've got Bernardo Charles with us today talking about his first deal. So Bernardo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. It's good to be here. I'm glad to be back. Yeah, glad to have you back. And it's been a fairly short time between when you came on as the uh, aspiring investor last time and now. So you know, congratulations on you know getting a piece of a, of a deal and understand we're going to be talking about a 66-unit apartment complex in Columbia, South Carolina today. That is correct. Yeah, it feels great. It's a lot of work, a lot of late nights, early mornings, but I'm happy to be here for sure. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's the nature of this game. I mean, most people, you know, do, you know, similar to what you do or what I did and you've got a W2 and you're working something else. And this is for, for some people, it's their exit plan from their W2 for others. It's just a way to make a little bit more money on the side, but either way, it's a, it's a lot of late nights for most people. That said, let's, let's talk about, you know, before we jump into you and, and, and how you got this apartment complex under your belt, uh, let's talk about the last time you were on the show. We brought you on with Camilla Jeffs. Any any big takeaways from what you learned on the show as an aspiring investor? What I learned from her that was really big for me was when it comes to raising capital, not trying to sell the deal, mm-hmm. but just talk about an opportunity to your investors, right? And if, yeah. they, if they want to invest, that's great. If not, there'll be more deals down the line, but don't feel like you have to sell the deal. And so that really allowed me to be in a space talking to family and friends to not trying to sell them per se, but say, hey, I have this opportunity that I'm working on. Here are the numbers. Here what it's about. If you're interested, let's talk some more. If not, you know, it's no worries, right? So. Yeah, it's I I I do the same thing when I'm talking about deals. Is I'll typically, I, I think the language you use is important. You know, give them an opportunity to invest. You know, instead of uh, you just mentioned trying to sell them, give them an opportunity to invest. And if you want to one up that, if you're investing as well, give them an opportunity to invest with you is probably the, the next step up. Uh, definitely appreciate that. And for, for the listeners, you go back and check that episode out. If you're listening to this episode within a couple of days of when it aired, the episode with, uh, with Camilla and Bernardo will be up right behind it. So check it out and uh, see how far he's come since then. But that said, Bernardo, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Tell us... Uh, where, where you came from, what, what you've been doing, and what got you into multifamily investing? Yeah. So, you know, growing up, I was told to go to school, get a good job, and, you know, you'll be set. And so I went that route. I went to college. I got my degree in, in uh, engineering. Mm-hmm. I graduated. I got me a big boy job. I was excited. I thought I had made it. 
Yeah. Um, but then I realized what I had envisioned when I was in school was not really what I was living day to day. And so in 2017, I just made the jump and I dove into everything, real estate. So books, podcasts, meetups, conferences, and mm-hmm. I just learned as much as I possibly could learn, right? After about a year and a half or so, I bought my first property. It was a small rental property mm-hmm. and it was cash flowing. It, was, it wasn't a lot. It was small, but I, was, I didn't have to be there nine hours a day to make, to make that profit. So I'm like, oh, this is, this is a high. I need to do more of this stuff. Oh, and yeah. So I bought more, I bought, you know, a small multifamily, a duplexes. Mm-hmm. And I realized I wanted to go bigger. I wanted to buy apartments. And so I, I shifted from buying single family homes and small multifamily to now going into syndication routes and, and joint yeah. ventures. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you remind me of a quote that, uh, you know, I, I like to remind myself of it's, it's Warren Buffett. He says, if, and I'm, I'm probably going to butcher the actual quote, but he says, if you can't learn to make money while you sleep, you'll work until you die. And I, I think that's exactly what you, you caught wind of. It's like, man, you know, I'm not making a lot of money, but I'm not working for that money. Right. And that's uh, that's a game changer for a lot of people. So good on you for that one. And the other thing that you mentioned, you know, a lot of people, it, it's, you know, conventional wisdom. And I, I have a, a really hard time, you know, stomaching conventional wisdom at this point in my life. Go to school, get a good job. Uh, it works for a lot of people. There's there's nothing wrong with people who follow that. That's the, the path that I followed. And I probably wouldn't be here if I didn't. Yeah, I think there's more to it than just go to school and get a good job and follow that pathway that other people put for you. Let's, let's talk about... Uh, Getting into your first deal, once again, you know, 66 units in Columbia, quite substantial. So let's rewind the clock. Let's talk about, you know, the, the education part. How did you educate yourself about, you know, real estate, you know, before your first, you know, couple of properties, specifically about multifamily? I became obsessed. So when I'm obsessive, I, I go through every kind of channel that I can possibly mm-hmm. go to. So YouTube, videos on YouTube, talking to people at meetups, conferences, reading books. And so I was just constantly putting in the time and effort yeah. to learn how to underwrite, how to find deals, how to talk to brokers. And so it was all self-taught via the internet. And yeah. uh, over time, I felt more comfortable to be able to now dive in there and start doing these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's something that is is really nice about today's age is the information's out there. It just takes a little bit of you know, time and it takes a little bit of hustle to be able to take the the information and and apply it really. So essentially, you self educated getting to where where you're at right now. Correct. Yeah, and I'm not sure how. Again, I'm not sure how it was done before the internet. I mean, because everything's out there. If you can put in the time to find it, it's really all there. So it's about putting in the effort to figure out exactly yeah. what don't I understand in the gap and fill that gap over time. So. I, I remember buying books, you know, before the internet, you know, I remember buying books and my, my road into the single family, you know, this is long before bigger pockets was, you know, even, even an idea. I remember going to Barnes and Noble and buying a book about single family rental. And I'm not sure how things were done before these big box bookstores were out. <laughs> right. But evidently it was. And I think the medians mediums just changed a lot. And actually interesting. You mentioned that somebody came on the podcast recently and talked about late night infomercial where they, they bought into a cassette tape program. So uh, <laughs> old school, <laughs> old school. Yeah. But uh, right. the, the nice thing is YouTube, 
you know, is, is for the most part free. So you got a fairly free education, college degree versus YouTube. I mean, did you think you got a better or worse education going, going the YouTube route? How about that? Oh, that's a great question. I, I think I, question got, <laughs> I know, right. I would say I got a better education on uh, YouTube because I was able to apply what I learned. Cause mm-hmm. honestly, you know, I went through school four or five years of, of education. And to be honest, I haven't applied, you know, yeah. I would say maybe 5% of what I learned in, mm-hmm. in school, right. At my current job, whereas now I'm applying everything I learned, you know, via books, podcasts, I'm, actively applying these things right now, you know, mm-hmm. in our realistic, you know, career. So I would say it's been more practical education. It's more hands-on your YouTube than just a degree at school. Oh yeah. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I, I say a lot, I, I do have two degrees in math, a bachelor's and a master's, and I haven't broken out differential equations <laughs> um, outside of the classroom for anything, you know? Right. So yeah, I think the, the applicability sometimes of college education, it's not directly applicable, but you know, the, the YouTubes or the, I'll throw podcasts in there as well. You know, the education you get that's, you know, internet-based right now, you can directly apply it and, you know, get a lot of different people with different, uh, different viewpoints. Right. If you think about the math, I mean, I took Calc 1, 2, 3. I took DFQ, yep. Physics 1, 2. I mean, all those math classes. And once I found the investing, you don't, I don't I haven't done any kind of, oh. you know, DFQ or calculus. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, the, the, the closest I get to it is when we're looking at like the defeasance, you know, what, what's our prepayment penalty going to be? But quite frankly, I pick up the phone and I call the lender and he gives me the number, you know, I don't, and it's, it's not even that complex of math. Yeah, but yeah, the the applicability and something that I found is I got to the point personally where I had read so many books and listened to so many podcasts that I wasn't going to learn anything else from books or podcasts. From there on out, the only way I was going to learn was by actually applying it and taking action. And that's, that's, I think, where the real education came in and going on a limb. Maybe one of the downsides to you know the public education or current education system is it's not immediately applied in a lot of cases. All right. Well, that said, let's talk about uh, team because you know this is obviously a team sport. How did you meet the people that you came into this uh, apartment deal with? Yeah. So I went to a conference last year, multifamily master's conference in Orlando, Florida, and when I went there, I met an individual on the last day of the conference. It was mm-hmm. just pure chance. We met, started talking, and we had the same goal, vision, and drive. We kept in contact, started talking every day on a regular basis, mm-hmm. looking at deals you know, every night via Zoom. And so via him, met other people. And so it just organically grew into a team of, of different skill sets. So yeah. we began just looking at deals in certain market until this one came it came around and it made sense. Now, when you met him, what was it about, you know, him or the relationship that, because I'm sure you met dozens of people at that conference. What was the difference when you met him or what was the distinguishing factor that led you to say, I'm going to follow up with this guy? You know, usually I follow up with everyone. I talk to everyone, but honestly, it was the way he, we talked. It was just, the, the connection was just different. And he had the same kind of drive that I had and the same kind of vision of where mm-hmm. we wanted to be. Also, the same kind of markets that I was looking at just made more sense. And over time, we just kind of formed that bond for the phone and it just grew from there. So it was just organically, just conversations, the same kind of mm-hmm. mindset, the same kind of goals. And yeah. Love it. 
So, so you guys were aligned on a couple of things and now were you guys both interested in South Carolina as far as investments or did that come later? So that came later because our initial market was uh, in Georgia, right? So mm-hmm. we're looking at a few deals in Georgia and over time that went to South Carolina where mm-hmm. we find this deal. The, it wasn't the, the initial uh, intent, but it came to us and we just went that route. Yeah. So. I mean, Atlanta to Columbia, I've, I've driven that several times before, but Atlanta to Columbia is, you know, two and a half, maybe three hours. So it's, it's not too big of a stretch. I think a lot of people who, who listen to the show know that I've got properties in, in Columbia. I got uh, a lot of properties in South Carolina and a couple in Georgia. Those, those are my stomping grounds too. And it's, you know, there there's a lot of fertile grounds there for investment. There's a lot of a lot of positive growth that's happened there and that's expected in the future. So a lot of goodness there. Let's talk about finding this particular deal. How did you guys find it? And then tell us about your role in the in putting this thing together. This deal was sent to us actually via an agent, right? Not a broker, which was kind of weird. And also it was on the MLS. 66 uh, on the MLS. Yeah, it was weird. It was on LoopNet. Yeah. It was on Zillow. So I'm like, this is weird, right? And as you guys know, you know, saying is, you know, LoopNet is what does go to die. So yeah. I would have never looked at LoopNet. But if, if you can find an, uh, a problem mm-hmm. and a solution to it, right, it's possible to, to find deals on LoopNet and so forth. But yeah, it was yeah. on MLS. My point in this and my role was underwriting. And so we found a deal. I underwrote it. And, and right okay. away, I knew there was something there because the rents were averaging 775 mm-hmm. and the market was about 950 you know, plus. And so yeah. I, I knew there was something there and we just jumped on it and, and began going through the steps. Right. So, yeah. Wow. I mean, that's I'm familiar with that area. We were talking about before we hit the record button that uh, one of the first deals I, I ever looked at was not very far from where you guys closed on this one. But Wow, six anything starting with a six in rents in that area is is pretty undervalued. So I think you guys got a a nice little nice little upside play on that one. So so your your role was underwriting. You went through it. You looked at it, and you're I imagine you picked the phone back up. You're like, dude, we got a, we got a pretty good little deal on our hands here. Oh yeah, because I have prior to that I've been underwriting a lot of deals, and so mm-hmm. I was definitely you know, right away when it does, you know, it's not making sense. or it's, it's kind of like not really there, but this one just right away, I'm like, Hey guys, we need to, this, this is, this is definitely something is there, right? Because mm-hmm. of the, of the area of the market makes sense. The yep. rents um, are definitely below, below what it is in the market. Mm-hmm. I knew right away that it was definitely uh, something there for us to, to pursue and go yeah. after. Awesome. So let's talk about uh, exactly that. So you, you pursued it. Just tell us what happened from there. I assume some LOI was submitted. Did you guys get the price you wanted or was there some negotiation in there? The price uh, was about 4.5 for it. And so we submitted the on the LOI. It was accepted. Okay. And at that point, it was more so just uh, putting down our, our money for the EMD and doing our you know inspections and so forth, right? It was really, I mean, the price was just so shocking that we it, it made sense at that price there was no reason to kind of go lower than that. Right. So. Yeah, man. I mean, if these guys would have gone with a commercial broker, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they would have got a lot more. I'll tell you what, uh, any, any indication why they didn't go with a commercial broker? I, I think, I don't know, but I think the agent, I don't know if they didn't have the experience to go with a broker, but the agent clearly did not know what the value of the property was or how to okay. go about it. And that's why I was on these 
all, all these sites like Zillow and so forth, right? So it, it yeah. made no sense to us. I was curious as to why am I seeing this on, you know, on regular mm-hmm. Zillow sites? Yeah. I think it's just not an experienced agent, broker, or and, and the owner. Well, I mean, I, I did some quick math and assuming it was in decent condition, you guys got it at, uh, you know, high 60s a door. And, you know, I know a lot of C-class, you know, once again, Columbia is an area that I know well, you know, I know down downtown Columbia C-class is, you know, 125-ish a door right now, but get out in the outskirts and you're talking 75 to 80 a door for, for C-class. So you guys got a good price going in. What was What was the business plan on this particular deal? This this property had a lot of deferred maintenance on it, and the, the the owner was very absent. And the property manager that he entrusted with his property just did a really bad job uh, as far as property management goes. So really, a lot of deferred maintenance. And so our plan was to go in there and manage it better, do mm-hmm. a little fix up, get everything you know back up to to where it should be, fix yeah. things in the, in the in the units, and either refi or sell it in a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Nice. I, I think that's uh, that's a pretty good business plan. It's what a lot of people do. You just uh, it's the classic value add play. You you manage it well. You fix it up. You cure the deferred ma- the, the deferred maintenance and hand it off to a seller that will hopefully manage it well from there. Right. Um, or to a buyer. Excuse me. Cool. So let's let's talk about uh, you know after getting it under contract, uh, how things went from there. Any any big things you guys uh, found in the due diligence process? This was a condo portfolio, right? So we had an an HOA part um, to all this. So really what we found was that there was a lot of different maintenance, not only inside the units, but also on the outside that that the HOA was not doing a good job of. Being that we're buying a majority of the units, we would have control of the HOA to kind of drive them to do certain things to the property. And so- Yeah, that's nice. um, That aspect of it was also nice, uh, Mm -hmm. having that control. Yeah. Okay. So, so now, now you've got a majority seat on the the HOA. Uh, how was the was it was it difficult to get a loan on this condo portfolio? Definitely, that was one of probably one of the hardest parts of this deal. I would say was to find a loan that made sense because of the HOA. Mm-hmm. The lenders wanted a much lower LTV. Yep. So it, it was. At, I remember just calling every every day, talking to lenders, and it's like, man, I'm just hitting a wall. We did get terms, but the terms were, you know, five-year interest only fixed. It was a bridge loan, which mm-hmm. was fine. It had a yield maintenance on it, right? Mm-hmm. So if you if you, had, if you were to sell it before the year five at any point in time, you would owe all the interest for the whole right. term of the loan. Obviously, that's not good, but that was our best option. Mm-hmm. But luckily, we're at the end, towards the end of the of doing this deal, we're able to get the seller to carry the loan himself. Uh, to oh, really? similar terms, yeah, and so we, at that point, got essentially the same, if not better, terms with no penalty on yeah. the loan, and that was a big, uh, big help because yeah, lending for this kind of deal is not easy. Our, our plan at that point was to, if we could not get lending, was just hold it for five years and sell it at that point. Yeah, yeah, and that that uh, makes sense. And, and lenders, I mean, when you're when you're going into a condo. They they want you to own everything. You know, there there's a little bit of risk to the lender if you only own some of the things. You know, and it's it's a little better from the lending perspective if you've got a majority of the units because you have the control of the homeowners association. Since you don't have complete control over the property, lenders tend to be a little skittish on properties like that, and some of them some of them won't even touch it. 
the ones that do, like like you mentioned, aren't going to give you the same terms that they would on a 66 unit apartment complex. Right. So yep. interesting. So you you were able to get the owner to do a seller carry. And so now you're giving him the interest instead of a lender. Pros and cons of, of doing seller financing. But I think uh, I think in this particular case, probably the best option for you. So good on, good on you guys for that one. So let's talk about subject that's difficult for some people, the capital raise, you know, how much money do you guys have to raise and, and how did that, uh, how did that part of the deal go? Yeah. So the raise was about uh 2.1, 2.2 raise. And so um, we had a, so initially we had a couple of raise on board on our mm-hmm. team. Um, that was, they were going to raise majority of the, of the equity that we needed. Mm-hmm. Um, about a month prior to closing, uh, they bailed on us. We had to essentially scramble to find another raiser to bring on board to, to raise what we needed. And so um, definitely a lesson learned there is that don't rely on just one raiser on your team, right? Because you never know, you might need a few yeah. few raisers on your team to raise that much equity. So that was our first our first property. We didn't know. And so, um, but the raise went well. Um, we were able to raise it in the last minute. But it was definitely not easy as as you know it seems because you know as we hear you find a deal the money will come well that's not really what that's not really how it goes as I've learned I mean it sounds nice to say that but in, in reality it's a lot of work and it takes experience from other raisers and, and knowing how to approach a deal like this to be able to get the equity to close yeah, yeah and you know that, that's that was our experience as well you know we th- we I thought the same thing on our first capital raise hey we got a good deal where's the money turns out it's not quite as easy as have a good deal it's going to be fully funded right? Still a lot of lot of effort, a lot of labor that goes into that one. But yeah, you guys were able to raise the capital. You were able to get get it across the finish line. And just based off you know what you're saying, I assume you wrote you guys had to raise a fair amount of your renovation budget as well, right? That is correct. Yeah, the, the capex was about six fifty, right? So it made the raise much higher than what we needed to close, essentially. Okay. Yeah. So about ten thousand dollars a unit. That's that's a healthy number for going in for capex. You know, allows you some some upgrades. And I know there's a lot of deferred maintenance you guys got to take care of. So interesting. So cool. Anything? Any other big hitches between you know contract to close? Anything that you know was a really big aha moment for you? Uh, a big aha moment for me. Um, I would say. The big thing for us was that no one panicked on our team. So mm-hmm. because a lot of things went wrong as far as us doing it for our first time at every roadblock that happened where, you know, lost the capital raiser, we lost the lender, this didn't mm-hmm. go right. Everyone stayed level-headed. No one lost it or no one really just panicked. By us being calm, cool, and collected, mm-hmm. every time an issue occurred, our main thing was, hey, there's a, there's a problem, there's a solution, let's go out there and find a solution. So we all were able to, to get over the humps by staying calm, cool and collected and going to find the next solution to yeah. get into, you know, into closing. So. I love that. I love that. And, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, when things get stressful, you you can kind of tell it's, it's nice to have those stressful moments before you close on a property. So, you know, how people are going to react to to bad news and distressors like that. And, you know, happy that uh, everything seemed to work out and, you know, people were able to maintain their calm and 
push through. So um, now let's see, you said you close in April and it's currently June. And it'll be probably July when this podcast airs. So uh, tell us how things have gone since you guys closed in April. So the first two or so months of operations. So far, everything's going pretty well. We now have our PM fully on board. And so uh, we do have a few um, units um, vacant that yep. we're looking to turn here pretty soon. And so that's right now in the process of being done. And so, yeah, it's going pretty well. We mm-hmm. have a few, I guess, marketing out there for tenants and mm-hmm. got a few applications going in. And so and we're looking to, I think we're projecting 950 for our mm-hmm. rents. We might be able to get a thousand plus. And so... Yeah. It's, uh, it's going good so far. Yeah. yeah I mean, you guys, we, we've got, uh, we've got a C-class asset, uh, not too far from you guys, but you're, you're definitely in a little nicer area than we're at. We've got a, uh, a HUD development, you know, section eight, hundred percent section eight. So, you know, you're, you're definitely in a better area. And I, I think a thousand dollar rents in that area are, are achievable. Well, that's awesome. So let's see, let's wrap things up really quick. And I got a couple of, of last, uh, I'm going to call them last minute questions, but a couple of questions that uh, get us through the home stretch here. So first question, what's next for you? Yeah. So right now I'm actively sourcing deals, talking to brokers or the investors and looking for what's going to be the next opportunity for us. And so it's uh, again, I love to underwrite. So I'm underwriting constantly mm-hmm. in the morning before work or after work, late evenings, lunch breaks, you name it. So it's more so just looking at deals um, and seeing where the next uh, yep. opportunity might be. Getting the next one. Awesome. So what advice would you give an aspiring investor who's six to 12 months behind you? Walk, don't run because mm-hmm. you know it takes time to get to your first deal and take your time and know what value that you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Talk to everyone and figure out how you can help them and add value to them and go from there. It's better to take your time than trip and, and fall, right? So just take your time. You'll get there and just put in the work and, and the effort. I like it. Walk, don't run. Yeah, I think uh, that that's a lesson that I think a lot of people need to, to hear. So walk, don't run. And last question, how can listeners learn more about you? Yeah, so I'm active on Instagram. So if you are on social media, you can find me there at Bernardo underscore buys underscore multifamily. So shoot me a DM and let's talk. Also, if you are in the Orlando area, uh, let me know. I have a, I do have a few things that I do here as far as meetups. If you want to join us um, and connect. so Awesome. Sounds great. So we'll put a link to your, your Instagram profile in the show notes. Great talking to you again. And once again, congratulations on you know closing on this 66 units. Big deal. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Apartment Investor podcast by the Tribe of Titans. If you're still listening, you obviously liked it. So go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. And then make sure to check out our YouTube channel, which incidentally has a ton of video content that you'll also enjoy and learn from. Now, if you're interested in being on the show, go to our website, diaryofanapartmentinvestor.com and fill out the questionnaire on the website. And for more educational content and for more information about our educational community, check us out at thetribeoftitans.info.